0: And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in Finance Radio. And I was saying, is uh, on our three-minute warm-up here in the the mothership, the original OGs of Know Your Risk Radio, seven seventy KTTH listeners here in Seattle, and for our new our new family and friends down there in Texas, the Dallas Fort Worth area, excited to be in that in that market. Um, I was actually speaking to the, uh, couple of the guys at the radio station down there in Dallas and they're like, yeah, well, why'd you want to get in the Dallas market? And I thought, well, you know, faith, family, football, uh, we're not from Texas, but I know that those are <laughs> faith, family and football. Th- those are family values in Texas. And I just figured we'd fit right in. Um, no. <clears throat> so anyway, excited to be there and, um, uh, Again, got a great show planned for you, but I will, I am recording this on Tuesday and it is because I'm going to be in Las Vegas uh, through the end of the week. I leave tomorrow, be there through the end of the week. I am on the board um, and several, many board clients have invested in this company. I've personally invested in, I'm on the board of a small audio technology company based out of the Seattle area. And uh, we got some really exciting things going on. And um, it's really culmination of a lot of hard work. We've been involved with this company for five years. When I say hard work, we've done some hard work on the money-raising side, but I'm speaking more to the team at the company. Uh, it's called Tectonic Audio Labs. And um, they're just incredible guys. And and um, I think within this next year, I think broad markets and consumers all across the United States and for that matter the world are going to be able to hear our technology in, in service. We've got a lot of big deals percolating with very large companies. Um, We've got some very unique and very groundbreaking technology in the audio space. And um, so I'm going to be down there kind of like as a proud parent, um, you know, is talking to different folks at some of these different companies and things like that. The wife's going to be with me. So I'll be in Vegas. So I had to record the show on Tuesday and uh, but, but I think it's a good setting, you know, beginning of the year, Obviously not too much noise. Markets are slightly down on the year, but effectively flat. We're actually having a really good start, um, which is nice. After last year, that was like getting flogged over and over. But yeah, market's down what 1% on the year, something like that. Our value fund is up five. I think overall our portfolios are up like one and a half. Our momentum fund is, I think, flat, something like that. Um, But yeah, you know, in the value portfolio, man, I'll take a 5% start to the year after last year, just, just didn't go anywhere. Just sat there in neutral. All year long. So a lot of fun. Uh, So anyway, I think this is a perfect opportunity to kind of cover some general stuff that's not so much market today focus, but we still have the market update and I think there's plenty of good stuff in there. An old friend of ours appeared in the news again. Good old Boeing out of Seattle. And again, for those of you that are new to the show, especially those in Texas, well, and, and in Phoenix and in California as well. Um, we weren't down there in those markets then, so you didn't hear this, but at the end of 2018, if if you can think about it and remember back, there was a bloodletting at the end of 2018 is right before Christmas and, and the, and the culmination of it was on Christmas Eve. Funny story about that. Sometimes you'd rather be lucky than good. So we actually outperformed. I think we were up 5% in 2018 market was down like six. And the reason we outperformed was because we were hedged that last month. And so while the market was getting smacked and I'm talking, I think it drew down like 20% between the end of November and uh, Christmas Eve. So don't quote me. It was something like that. A pretty nasty, uh, uh, lead up into Christmas there. And we were hedged, uh, because the fed was raising rates, you know, didn't, and <clears throat> there was a flush on Christmas. And I remember my trader calls me Christmas Eve. Trader calls me right before market closed. It was like 940. And he's like, any trades? And I go, yeah, sell the hedges. And he's like, you sure? And I go, yeah, I just, you know, we're up 5%. We're going to finish positive on the year. Market's down. I don't want to be hedged. The volumes are too thin between Christmas and and, and New Year's, whatever. Sell it. Thank God we did because the market ripped (laughs) the week between Christmas and New Year's. So sometimes you better be lucky. Anyway, long story short. One of the companies that had performed amazingly up until that point was Boeing. And so Boeing got smashed and we bought a position and I had long stayed out of it because the valuation didn't make any sense to me. Remember, If you remember, you know, Boeing was trading at like, you know, almost like three, no, geez, three, three and a half times revenue or something like that. An industrial manufacturing company trading at like 33, 34 times earnings. It just didn't make any sense. It's, it's it's a good business in the sense that, you know, the United States is their biggest buyer, right? They're 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 you know they own Lockheed Martin. Um, yeah, it's Lockheed, isn't it? Northrop Grumman? Northrop? No, I think it's Lockheed. Um, yeah, it's Lockheed, and and you know they do have these advantages, but but it it it's a business that's exposed to every single supply chain risk, right? It's a business that's horrifically exposed to inflation. Uh labor is tricky, right? Unions, all these it's just not a good, it's not a good business in the terms of the type of business it is. So anyway, but it got it got drilled at the end of the year. And I'm sitting there going, well, you know, a slight rate raise by the Fed isn't gonna drop demand for Boeing planes off the markets. We bought a little piece. And it started doing really well. But I was thinking about buying more. Well, if I'm gonna make it an investment, right? I've talked about this. one of the things we do here every time is if we're going to make a move and we're going to buy something or sell something, the first question I ask all my guys, is this a trade or an investment? Right? And those are two very different things. Trading gets a bad rap from a lot of investment people. It shouldn't. If you know what you're doing, it's a wonderful way to add some juice to a portfolio. And if you do it correctly, you can do it without adding a lot of risk too. It, 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 take my word for it. Some of the best money managers in the world have been traders, guys that have averaged 30% a year. So... Now I have an average 30% a year, but my point is, and the way you do that with trading now, granted, it's very complicated and very complex, but generally speaking, one of the easiest ways to do with trading is have entry and exit um, uh, points picked out ahead of time, right? You're trading because you think an event or something is going to happen. And the way to do that, well, there's, again, it's very complex, but in a very simple way to look at it. One of the easiest ways to not get in trouble is to have very defined rules. For instance, I will buy it at, at this level and as long as it stays above it, if it drops below that level, I will sell out. Or I will buy it here and I will hold it till it hits this level and I will sell out. Predetermined rules. And you stick to those rules no matter what. Now, you can a trade can turn into an investment, right? That can happen. But it requires a much deeper level of research, right? If you're going to buy a company in size and hold it, you need to know what you own. So we started that homework process on Boeing and I was going to increase the size of it. Well, funny enough, that research over the course of the next two to three months actually led me to sell my Boeing stock and go short it, not in client accounts, but in personal accounts. And this was right because I can't outright short an individual stock in client accounts. It's a nightmare. Um, and this led me to do a radio show on Boeing. And that radio show, I believe, aired, and you can still go back and find it, make sure I'm not blowing smoke. Uh, I believe that, oh, that aired on March 1st, 2019. The second plane went down on my birthday, March 6th, 2019. <clears throat> so what we found, though, what, what, I don't want to call it a, a culture of corruption because I don't think it was corrupt. But what we found was a management team and a board that was managing the stock price, not the company. Everything was about the stock price. And so what they were doing is they were effectively stripping out, right? It's, it's, and when I say you can manage a stock price or you can manage a company, <clears throat> there's a lot of things you can do to a company that will make its earnings and margins look better for a period of time, but it's not sustainable, right? Right. And so one of the biggest things that we realized when looking at Boeing is the big story with Boeing is they had this great management team that had leaned down their operation and increased margins. They hadn't done that. What they'd been doing is deferring costs, right? So when you defer costs out, it makes everything in the interim look better, but that deferral keeps growing and it becomes a bigger and bigger risk and liability. An example of this, one of the interviews I did with a Boeing employee that had been a senior accounting executive with the company for 31 years. And I met with her for probably three and a half, three and a half hours. And she was walking me through all the different things they do, not divulging anything that was, you know, get her in legal trouble or violate her, <clears throat> her contract with the company, but just, you know, walking me through how they do things. And she goes, Zach, there's so many instances of buildings that need roof repairs That they're just pushing off. And she goes, I went to management at one point and said, guys, if you do this this year, it's going to cost two and a half million. If you wait for two to three years down the road, I can't remember when it was, but they were planning to defer it out. She goes, if you wait that long, that two to three million goes to 35 million. They're like, that's a problem for another day. We'll worry about that another day. There were HVAC units that had been out on factory floors for extended periods of time that weren't being repaired or fixed because. We didn't want to pay the costs. There was maintenance that was not, not being ignored. But there were just stories of these over and over and over. And every person I talked to at the company, whether they were in engineering, whether they were in the flight maintenance crews that work with the airlines <clears throat> at the actual airports, you know, helping them with maintenance, keeping the things on track, whether it was people in, you know, like I said, engineering, but also airplane design. We talked to people in the machinist's every part, we had interviewed seven different employees at all different parts of the company and they all said the same thing first of all they all knew the number i believe it was 450 450 dollars a share i believe that that's what they were aiming for 4 or 450 they all knew that number it was communicated in every single company communication they all knew everybody was constantly talking about the stock. And then when you looked at the way they were managing the company, you could see what they were doing. They were just, they were stripping the thing. You know, they were stripped, just stripping it out. Maximizing the short-term gains. And, and what concerned me so much, which should also concern you, is I don't get as worried about an apparel manufacturer doing that. I get a little bit worried about, Airplane companies doing that. And then on top of it, the way they covered it up and the way the, the thing, the way the government let that whole airplane crash kind of go aside and blame it on this, it, it, it was, it, it was, that was corrupt. And, and I mean that in form of our government. The story that the public got regarding Boeing was a joke. Okay. It, the, those planes were falling out of the air because of what management was doing. And I'm not saying that they made a design. It was the approach, right? It was band-aids instead of fixing a problem to maximize profits. And here's the thing. Everybody thinks Boeing took its lumps and it's come out. They they haven't changed it. All they did was get rid of the CEO. The board of directors is exactly the same. I talked to my clients and my contacts there at Boeing. They're still pressing the stock price. They're back to doing the exact same thing. So in mid-flight the other day, and I'm not saying these two things are correlated. I'm just saying it's not a well-run company. It's just not. And and, and, and it amazes me how it keeps sucking people in. People are like, oh, the stock's still way off its highs. Well, go look at the enterprise value of it. Yeah, I think it's got 30 billion more in debt. I mean, I'd have to go look, but I think it's had still got 30 or 40 million billion more in debt than it had in 2019 because all the debt it had to take on because of you know, because of all the issues. And so you look at the enterprise value of the company and its financials are nowhere near where they were in 2018. The enterprise value is almost back to its high. Right? Debt plus market cap. It I'm telling you. I'm not telling you to short it not at these levels, but look, if you're a longtime Boeing person, be careful. It's, it's not a good company, not with this management in place. And all they did, none of that, none of the idiocy that got them in that mess. And look, some of it, everybody's like, it wasn't their fault. Yes, it was. It was 100% their fault. Like I said, I don't think the planes crashed for criminal liability reasons, but it was just shortcuts, right? For instance, let's look at the 737 max right remember everybody was blaming that software system they put on there well why did they have to put that new software system it was called the MCAS. why did they have to put that on the plane they had to put it on the plane because the character the, the behavior of the plane changed due to the design changes they made to it and the reason <clears throat> so it's a seven so the 737 chassis didn't change at all but they put on bigger engines which requires different things to happen. Well. That chassis wasn't built for that, okay? So when they retrofitted it to make it get better gas mileage, they changed the way the the airplane behaved. So to override those behavioral changes, they put in the software system and they did all of that because all of that was substantially cheaper than actually building a new airplane and going through the FAA approval process and, and doing all that. Right, so the whole thing—the reason you got there—they they blame the software. The software was on there because they were cutting corners. Period. They—they they didn't need the software on the regular 737, but it wasn't the regular 737 because they maxed it, right, to get better, you know, and higher margins, right. Now they can sell a new airplane that didn't have any of the costs associated with the other new airplanes they had to design. So again, it's not criminally negligent. I don't want to get caught, you know, libeling them or anything like that, you know. Or defamation, actually, libel is written. but um, And I'm not saying that they're horrible. I'm just saying it's not a good management team. I wouldn't trust it as far as I could throw it. The valuations don't make any sense. Uh, people are like, well, look at the backlog. Guys, everybody's been saying, look at the backlog for as long as I can remember. Guess what happens to backlogs when economies slow down? The backlogs vanish. You can't make somebody take a $200 million product, right? Especially when you're selling to other governments in many cases. If the money dries up, the backlog dries up with it. You can rest assured. So anyway, they're back in the news, got that. And, and again, I'm not saying it's from negligence or anything like that. I don't know why that airplane door popped off. I'm just saying it's yet another reminder. You know, everybody just creeps trying to resurrect this thing. And until I see drastic changes in management, until I hear different managing actually going on at the company, it's amazing to me how many people will get on the radio or TV and talk about a company that you, they get 10 minutes into their conversation. And that's the way Boeing is. I listen to these people, you know, I, I don't have a CFA. I'm not some, you know, forensic accountant, but you listen to them talk and I'm like, well, you have never talked to anybody from the company. Sitting up here talking about all your opinions. You don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, I don't know how rigorous your research yeah, practice is, but if it doesn't include speaking to anybody at the company, right? If all you're doing is just regurgitating what the CEO says on the conference call, you're probably not getting very good data. right? It's probably not getting the best information. So anyway, don't get sucked into that whole nonsense. That's all a bunch of garbage. Uh, other interesting things. I kind of went off on a Boeing tie read there. you have to forgive me. I just, I, I don't like that company. I love the people that work there. It's an important part of this area that I live in Pacific Northwest so I, I love what they do for people I think a lot of people have had great jobs and great retirements I'm not beating them up I don't think the people are bo- I, but I do think their board of directors and their management are garbage and there's no way I'm putting a dollar especially at these prices you get Boeing down to that 150 125 range <clears throat> on a valuation level it starts looking somewhat attractive I just again if I'm looking for valuations and cash flows I, I even at that level I could find much better managed and run companies that have Better cash flows. I just, I, I don't like it. So um, other one, and <clears throat> we're gonna talk about this a little bit in the next segment. Apple downgrades are starting to come in. You're starting to see analysts downgrade them. Um, I'm not sure what took them so long. Um, I don't understand how Apple's record high in stock price and record high valuation hits at the same during the course of them having four consecutive, which is a record, four consecutive losing quarters. And And this is what I'm gonna talk about in the next segment is, I think people are worried about all of these horrific market outcomes. And I don't think enough people are just looking at the market and the individual stocks. I don't think you need a big disaster to hit for these companies to get run over. I just think you need earnings to come in. And we're going to talk about that. I'm going to lay that back in the next segment and kind of list out why we're saying that. But yeah, so you're seeing the Apple downgrades. You're seeing Tesla. The other day, NVIDIA came out and announced they were working on some kind of new GPU or something like that for games or, you know. Whatever it seemed like a milk toast announcement. Well, that rallied the stock six, seven percent that day, or something like that. And I just think it's fascinating. I'm not going to sit here and say Nvidia is over. You know, AI is going to be huge. I, we don't really know how that's all going to roll out. I'm just telling you uh, another one, Jim Cramer, gift that keeps on giving, out there, pound of the table. Nvidia is still undervalued. Look, he may be right. I, I can't say definitively he's wrong. I don't I don't know the future. But if NVIDIA isn't overvalued, there never has been a company that is. Okay? It, it, it's ridiculous. And why I say that is what's built into the price is the best case scenario on AI and the best case scenario for NVIDIA and the main, the maintaining of virtually no comp. It just, it, and like I said, I can't say definitively he's wrong. I don't know the future. You know, for all I know, maybe NVIDIA triples from here over the next three years. I, it's just a joke. But anyway, and, and this is the issue. Right now, the, this isn't scientific. I don't know where this ends. But this is the issue. On that day, when it goes up 6.5%, the market cap on the company increased by $80 billion. On, a, on, on an announcement of a, a new, pretty insignificant product and and not a new flagship not a groundbreaking an 80 billion boost in the stock on a single day tacked on two fords in a single day one and a half gm something like that i don't know what their market cap is right now 80 bi- and so you're just reaching this law of large numbers thing on so many of these companies and i don't really ha- hear anybody talking about it right like for instance if your thesis is that apple is going to double over the next 5 years what you're saying is over the next 5 years apple's business is going to grow to a level that is commensurate to 10% the entire size of our economy not that apple will be 10% of the it already is we got a 24 trillion 25 trillion dollar economy apple's got a 3 trillion dollar market cap but you buy a stock because you believe it's going to grow so you believe its growth rate over the next 5 years will be its growth will be commensurate to 10% the entire size of our economy. NVIDIA launches a new product. Last year, NVIDIA did what? 34, somewhere between, I want to say, don't quote me on this, but somewhere between 30 to 35 billion, I want to say low 30s billion dollars in revenue. The stock went up 80 billion in a day. It went up almost 3x their annual revenue rate in a day because of some new GPU processor they're saying they're bringing out. Not a new AI one, right? Not a new transformational, just kind of like the next evolution of one of their existing processors. And I, it again, it's nothing bad or good about the companies. It's just this lo- large number issue where you're looking at going. Do you understand what you're saying? Like, to I mean, uh, yeah, it. <laughs> it's just it's just madness. I. It, And I, you know, funny thing about madness is madness can stay mad for a long time. So, you know, there's no definitive action there. Um, But anyway, in the next segment, I'm going to get into that because there's a lot more of that stuff. I want to talk about the earnings issue and I want to talk about the conspiracy theories out there and things like that because i think there's a i don't think you need to be worried about some horrific economic event happening i think the reality is more certain is it possible a horrific economic yeah of course i mean look at the board we're looking at here look at the geopolitical issues the inflation issues debt deficits slowing economy record debts all these different issues yes But everybody's like, oh, you're a bear. And I'm like, no, it's look at the price you're paying for these companies going into a slowing economy. So I don't think we need to be too dramatic. We're going to get into we're going to get into that in the next segment. Anyway, closing this one up. Hey, you know, if, if all these things resonate and you realize that your regular mutual fund zone are all loaded up and all this expensive stuff and that concerns you, give us a call. 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, or capitalmanagement.com You guys know the drill. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com.